Two weeks ago, I had the, the privilege to go down to Jamaica to do kind of a survey trip for our upcoming missions trip this summer. It was just there really one whole day, got there very late on a Monday, and then spent Tuesday traveling around and left kind of Wednesday afternoon. And so really only had about one and a half days to really uh, look around and see what we were doing. And it was, it was a wonderful trip. And Jamaica is an incredible country. Uh, it is a former British colony. Uh, of course, it started out as a Spanish colony, and then it was uh, conquered by the British. It was a former British colony, and it received its independence in 1962. Now, because of that, Jamaica is an English-speaking country, which is great, because that way you don't have to learn a foreign language to go there. However, uh, there is a local dialect that most people speak called Patwa, and it is an English-based Creole dialect, and it's, it's spoken conversationally between native Jamaicans. And I did not know that until I was with our, our missionary, Oral Anderson, and we were driving around and he was showing us the neighborhood that he ministers in and the people he ministers to. And he'd see a guy on the street and he would pull over and roll his window down and he'd say something. I had no idea what he was saying. He'd be like, I'm what you do, blah, blah, And I'm like, what did you just say? He's like, I just said, how are you doing? How's it going? I was like, why didn't you just say that? He goes, I did. And they'd speak, and they'd have this conversation, and I'm like, I have no idea what they're saying. It's like gibberish to me. It literally was a foreign language. Uh, I didn't understand it because I didn't understand the language he was speaking. Pots was a very difficult language to understand. Matter of fact, listen to this. I mean, I understand one word they must say because they must chat pure fat. The ballet bringer went into the data with the dread. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all hear what she said? Let's try it again. I mean, I understand one word in my say because I'm a chap pure fat. The ballet bringer went into the data with the dread. Anyone can guess what she's saying. One more time. I mean, I understand one word in my say because I'm a chap pure fat. The ballet bringer went into the data with the dread. Anything? All right, here's what she said. And I think this is funny that she said this. I don't understand what he says at all. The man became angry when he saw his daughter with a man with dreadlocks. That's what she said. I mean, I understand one word in my say because I'm a chap pure fat. The ballet bringer went into the data with the dread. I heard daughter and dread. That's all I could catch. But we don't understand it because we don't speak the dialect. We don't understand what you're saying. And it's not just kind of like Pachwa dialects. I mean, we go to England and they say stuff that they have words for things that we don't understand what they are. They ride the tube. That's the subway. Hey, I'm going to get on the tube. That's weird to me. But it's a subway. And we just, we don't understand it because we don't speak the dialect. As children of God, we have a different dialect that the unsaved world doesn't understand. We say things like, I'm praying a hedge around you. Listen, if you're going to pray something around me, let's not make it a hedge. Let's make it like a brick wall. I never understood that. I'm praying a hedge around you. You know, things can get through hedges. Let's do a, a fortress around me. But we'll say, I'm praying a hedge around you. Or, you know, God set up a divine appointment. We know what we're saying, but the unsafe person's like, what? Or, I'm going to lay a fleece out for this situation. Again, you're in church, you understand what that means, but to the unsaved person, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so we have a different dialect than they do. One word 
that we in Christianity and, and believers use that the world doesn't understand the context in which we use it is the word saved. As a believer, if you ask someone, are you saved? Or tell me about the day you got saved. And they are a believer too. They know what you're talking about. And they can tell you how they got saved or when they got saved or what being saved means to them. You ask a non-believer and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been drowning and someone pulled me out of the river. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't make sense to them. Now, Paul uses this word twice in Ephesians chapter 2 to describe what God has done for us through his grace. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. He says it again in verse number 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now, as a believer... We read those verses, we see that word, and we understand the context that Paul is using when he's talking about being saved. To the, Bible, the believer, the word saved is one of the greatest words in the Bible. But to a non-believer, it doesn't make any sense at all. So for the next several weeks, we are going to really dig deep into this word saved. And we're going to see what it means Scripturally, The word saved in Ephesians is the Greek word sozo. And it means to be saved from danger or destruction. This word sozo is used 92 times in the New Testament. 24 of those times it speaks of being saved from physical harm. Saved from a storm, saved from a shipwreck, saved from, from, uh, from persecution or physical harm. It is delivering someone from physical danger. But 68 times, it's not used as being saved from physical harm. It talks about spiritual salvation, being saved from spiritual Danger. And when we're referring to spiritual salvation, it means literally to be rescued from sin and its eternal judgment. It means to be made spiritually whole. And both times in Ephesians, when Paul uses the word saved, he's talking about spiritual salvation, being saved from the danger of sin and eternal judgment. Judgment. When Paul uses this word, it's also in the perfect tense. And tense in the Greek word, the verb tense, is vitally important. And so use it in the, port, in the uh, perfect tense. It means that this word, when used in the perfect tense, speaks of an action that is completed one time but has ongoing eternal effects. So you don't get saved over and over and over and over again. You get saved spiritually one time, but that one-time event has eternal effects that are ongoing for eternity. So once you get saved, it's done. It's finished. It is a completed act that Jesus performed on our behalf. It happened to me when I was an 18-year-old high school senior. I had grown up, of course, as Jehovah's Witness and was raised in that, that, that false religion. And when I was 12 years old, my father was uh, disassociated because he smoked. And, and my mom gave us an option. As a 12-year-old boy, she said, you can stay home with your dad on Sundays. You can go with me to the Kingdom Hall. Well, any 12-year-old boy worth of salt is not going to go to the Kingdom Hall. 
Uh, so I'm like, well, I'm staying home. We got Nintendo now, baby. So I'd stay home, and I just I got out of church, and I didn't care about anything. And so by the time I became a high schooler, uh, I was an atheist. I didn't believe there was a God. And I was very angry and hateful towards religion. By the way, I still am. Hate religion. Religion is terrible. Jesus hates religion. The only people he picked on were the religious people. That's another sermon series. We'll get off of that. Uh, but so I was very antagonistic towards religion, anything like that. And so I, I just I didn't have anything to do with it. But I liked April because she was pretty. She was sweet. And she hates the story because it makes her sound like a good girl. And she was a good girl sometimes. But she was, she was just, you know, so I wanted to date her, but she wouldn't date me because I wasn't a Christian. So I'd have to go to church with her. So I went one Wednesday, they had a revival, and I went to the church, and preacher got up, and he preached on the reality of hell, and he literally scared it out of me. For the first time, my eyes were opened, my spiritual eyes were opened, and I understood there was a God. There was a heaven, but there was a hell that I was headed to. And so when he gave the altar call, I came out, and I ran to the altar, and I knelt down there, and I, had, I didn't look up. I was so scared. I don't know who I talked to. I don't know what they looked like. I don't know anything. they just like, what are you here for? I'm like, i got to get saved. And that moment, as an 18-year-old man, I was saved. It was a one-time event that has had eternal difference in my life. And so he not only told me about the reality of hell and that I was headed there, but he also told about the grace of Christ. And if I put my faith and trust in the finished work on Jesus, that his death on the cross paid for my sins, then I could be saved. Jesus rescued me by his grace from my sin and ever since that day. April 13th, 1996, ever since that day, I've been saved. And here's the thing, I can never be unsaved. No matter what I do with my life, I can never be unsaved. And a lot of people have issues with that. Because like you're telling me that you can say a prayer and get saved and you can go out and live any way you want to. Yes, you can. But if you truly got saved and the Holy Spirit's inside of you and you are truly made new, you're not going to want to go do what you want to do. You're going to do what God wants you to do. So people say, so you can go out and you can kill a whole bunch of people and go to prison and still go to heaven? I don't think anyone who says a prayer and then goes out and murders a bunch of people is really truly saved. I'm not, you know, I, I can't judge them, but I'm judging them. I don't think they're really saved. Because if you truly are made new, the things you want to do are different. And so that day I got saved and I've never been unsaved. Salvation is not something I did, though, it's something that Jesus did for me. It is a finished work of God. So, ooh, being saved is more than just saying a prayer. Being saved is more than just going to church or, or having the correct lingo. Being saved is a gift of God to mankind that makes us new. It's not just a ticket out of hell. It's not just a free trip to heaven. It is the gift of being made new by God. So when you tell that to an unsaved person, they usually don't understand it because they don't see that they need to be saved. They don't think they need to be made new because let's just be honest, we've got some terrible people in the world. But most people aren't that bad. You know, we hear about the bad things. We hear about the pedophiles and the murderers and all the... We hear about the bad people, 
But the majority of people are, are pretty decent people. The majority of people aren't murderers. You know, I know that because we're still alive. If the majority of people are murderers, there wouldn't be a whole lot of us left here anymore. So the majority of people are pretty good. They don't do bad things. They respect people. They treat people good. So they don't understand why they need to be saved. And that's exactly why Paul, what Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter number 2. So let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead. So he, he, he's talking here to people who are saved. He's saying you... God is quick, and that word quicken means to be, literally means to be resurrected, to be made alive again. So he's saying you, he has made alive again who were dead. They, these people he's addressing here have already experienced God's grace at salvation, but he is reminding them of who they were before they got saved. He says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past... Ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of, of, of uh, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we, he's included himself there, all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as other. So Paul begins this letter to the church at Ephesus reminding these believers who they were before they got saved, before Jesus made them new. And he's reminding them of why they desperately needed to be saved. So these verses raise two questions that need to be answered this morning. Here's the first one. Why do I need to be saved? Again, most of us aren't bad people. Most of us haven't done what humanity considers horrible, terrible things. So why do I need to be saved? Well, Paul gives us four reasons. Number one, because you were dead in your sins. You get a look at verse one. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The reason every one of us needs to be saved this morning or needed to be saved is because we were dead in our sins. Paul reminds these believers, hey, before you were saved, you were dead. Now, the Greek word there, dead, it's deep, means without life. I tell you, man, the Greek word's deep right there. So it means without life. Now, that doesn't make sense to a non-believer because you tell a non-believer you need to be saved because you're dead. They're like, no, I'm not. I've got a pulse. I'm breathing. I'm living life. I'm doing fine. I'm not dead. So if I'm not dead, I don't need to be saved. Paul isn't referring to physical death. He's referring to spiritual death. He's reminding us every single person who's ever lived was dead spiritually at one point if they got, before they got saved. You, me, everybody, we were born alienated from God. You ever talk to someone and you hear them say, I've always been a Christian. You ever heard somebody say that? I've heard people say, oh, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. No, they weren't. No one's always been a Christian. Look, we've got, we are so blessed in this church. We've got so many precious new babies around. 
We've got Colton. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, huh? Sweet Pea, but what's her real name? Jojo, uh, we got Jojo. We we got Garrett in a couple in about a month. We got Ashlyn. She's expecting. We got a lot of babies coming around. And look, when they are born, man, they are so precious. They are so sweet. You look at them like, oh, they're they're just they've, they've never done anything wrong yet. You give them a while, and they start lying all of a sudden, screaming in the middle of the night because they're they're like they're dying, but they ain't dying. They're just hungry. They just want a snack. But it's like, oh, I'm gonna die right now. Why? Because they're born. To, and you look at me like, oh, they were, and look, these babies, they're born into good Christian families, but they're not born Christians. They're born dead to God. They are born spiritually dead. If you've always been a Christian, if someone has always been a Christian, then the Bible is not true. Everyone who's ever been born physically was born dead spiritually to God. The Bible teaches us from the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of the tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. By the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God made Adam and Eve to enjoy fellowship with him. They would enjoy fellowship with each other. They would enjoy creation. Life was designed to revolve around a love relationship with God the Father. But a love relationship requires freedom. If God didn't give Adam and Eve a choice, it's not love. He is forcing them to obey him. So he gave him a choice. He goes, hey, you've got all this beautiful stuff I've created for you. You can enjoy every fruit and every tree in the garden. You can just eat anything you want. Just don't eat that tree. And I've always wondered, if there was a tree that they weren't supposed to eat, why did God put it in the middle of the garden? Why not put it on like Mount Everest? Hide it from them. Say, there's a tree you can't eat, but I hate it, so don't even look for it. Don't worry about it. Or keep it in heaven. But he, he gave them a choice. He goes, you can enjoy fellowship with me. You can enjoy peace and prosperity and, and just a wonderful life of freedom and love with God, but you have a choice to either do that or do something different. So he goes, don't eat of that tree because the day you eat of it, you are surely going to die. So God made Adam and Eve to enjoy fellowship with him. Life was designed to revolve around that, but God gave them the freedom to choose. He gave them one rule. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree. He had, he had, they had dominion over everything else, but he goes, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, woman's fault, always woman's fault, amen, and that it was just pleasant, I'm kidding, that was pleasant for the eyes, and uh, the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her. Adam's there, Adam's fault, all right? Gave with her husband with her, and he did eat. So they did what God did not say. God said, don't eat of that tree. The day you eat of it, you're going to die. So verse 7 obviously says, and then they died. And the book's over, right? No. Verse 7, and the eyes of them were both opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God. Among the trees of the garden. God told them, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. They ate of that tree and they died spiritually. Before they ate of the tree, they enjoyed fellowship with God and closeness with God and the presence of God. And now they are hiding from the presence of God. They ate of the forbidden tree instead of anticipating God's presence. They hide from his presence. They died spiritually. They lost 
the ability to have relationship and fellowship with God. Their sin caused the part of them that was alive to God to die. How many of you were there that day and ate of the tree with them? So why are we, we going to die? I wasn't there. I didn't eat of the fruit. If I were there, I'd have told Eve, hey, I got more ribs. God can make more of you. Have fun, babe. I would just have God make me a couple more. It'll be okay with me. But that's not what happened. Adam ate with her. So they died spiritually. But we didn't do it, so why do we have to suffer? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5. He says, wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Spiritual death came to the world through sin. And it has spread to every person since Adam and Eve. That is everybody. We do not come into this world a blank slate. We come dead to God. We come an enemy of God. We come opposed to God. So why do you need to be saved? Because you were dead in your sins. Why else do you need to be saved? Because you were disobedient in your walk. Again, verse 1. And you hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul says he was dead in his trespasses and sins. Both of those words are plural meaning there was a bunch of them. Paul says there's a bunch of trespasses, there's a bunch of sins, and we're all guilty of every single one of them. When he looked at his life, he was filled with trespasses against God, with sins against God. So his argument is not he is spiritually dead because he sins. His argument is I sin because I'm spiritually dead. I am disobedient to God because I am dead to God. That's why you don't have to teach your kids to be bad. You have to teach them to be good because they are born bad. I know, not my kid. Yeah, your kid. They were born bad. You leave them alone, they're going to lie, they're going to cheat, they're going to steal, they're going to be selfish, they're going to be jealous. They're going to be all these things. Why? Because you were. You don't teach them to be bad. You have to teach them to be good. They seem so sweet and innocent, but soon enough, you're going to have to correct them. We come into this world with a nature that is bent towards doing that which is opposite of what God wants us to do. Because we are spiritually dead, we live disobedient lives. That's true of every single person who's ever been born a man and woman. Every person who's ever been born of a man and woman were born dead to God, and because they were dead to God, they lived disobedient to God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've never met anyone that would not agree with that verse. I've never met anyone that said, nope, not me. I've always been perfect. I've met people that think they're better than other people. I've met people that think they're close to perfect. I've met people that say, well, I'm perfect now. But no one's ever said, I've always been perfect. We need to be saved because we are dead and because we are dead, we are disobedient in our walk with God. John MacArthur said this. He says that all men, apart from God, are sinful, does not mean that every person is equally corrupt or wicked. Twenty corpses on a battlefield might be in many different stages of decay, but they are all uniformly dead. Sin manifests itself in many different forms and degrees, but the state of sin itself has no degrees. Not all men are as evil as they could be, but all fail to measure up to God's perfect standard. 
if we did a poll this morning, and we, if we were honest and really started listing our sins, we could get into groups and say, well, these are the really bad people. These are the almost bad people. These are the, the okay bad people. These are the little bad people. And then way over here are the mother-in-laws, the really terrible bad people. We could group people together in groups and say, well, my sin's not as bad as their sin, but we would notice we all have sin. And if my sin is not as bad in my eyes as, it, as yours is in your eyes, my sin, no matter how good or bad it is, is still sin in God's eyes. And it still makes me disobedient to God. Doesn't matter how much you think you've sinned, we've all sinned. So why do we need to be saved? Because we were dead in sins, because you were disobedient in your walk. And third, thirdly, because you were dominated by the world, the devil, and the flesh. Look at verse 2. Wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in us, working the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, the world it has this spiritual system, and it has its values and its morals and its beliefs, and they are directly opposed to the morals and beliefs and, and spiritual system of God. The devil is our adversary. He is the prince of the power of the air. He seeks to kill, to destroy, and to steal from us. Our flesh is that fallen nature that embraces our fleshly desires and embraces our wicked thoughts. And Paul says, before Christ, he was dead to God. He was living disobedient to God, and so the world, the flesh, and the devil, they dominated him. He could not do anything else. He did what the world, the flesh, and the devil wanted him to do because that's what his flesh desired because he didn't know any better. He was defeated. It was the pattern of his life, and it's the pattern of your life before Christ. Before you got saved, you were defeated, and there was nothing you could do to, to win. There was nothing you could do in your own strength and your own power and your own ability to beat the world, to beat the flesh, or to beat the devil. You are a defeated person. So why do you need to be saved? Because you were dead in your sins, because you were disobedient in your walk, because you were dominated by the world, the devil, and the flesh. And fourthly, because you were doomed without God. Verse number one again. I'm sorry, verse number three. At the end of it. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Because of my nature, I was a child of wrath. You know what that means? Before I got saved, I sat under the wrath of God, waiting on judgment and deserving judgment. We don't like hearing about the wrath of God on ourselves or others, but we need to understand God is holy. And because he is holy, God cannot and God will not be in fellowship with sin. Because God is holy, his nature demands he pour his wrath out on sin wherever it is found. If God didn't pour his wrath out on sin one time, then he would cease to be holy. And if he ceased to be holy, then he wouldn't be God. John Stott said this. He said, it is God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with it, and his resolve instead 
to condemn it. Because God is holy, his nature demands he pour out his wrath on sin. He must judge sin. He must punish sin. That's why the teaching that if you're good enough, then God will overlook the bad you've done. If your good outweighs your bad, when you get to heaven, God will look at your life and say, well, yeah, you did some bad things, but your good was better, so therefore, that means he overlooks the bad you did, and he can't overlook the bad you did. I don't care how, how good it was. Well, I only jaywalked one time. I only broke the law one time. It was a small law, but it did all this good. doesn't matter. That one sin must be judged, and if God doesn't judge it, then God's not God, and we're all doomed. It means that God won't judge all sin. So in John 3, 18, it says this. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the Holy, on the, on the only begotten Son of God. It's, that word condemned already is the same tense used in Ephesians 2. It's the perfect tense, meaning those who don't believe on Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, they are 100% already condemned. That is a one-time thing that's going to have eternal consequences for all of eternity. Because my sin, apart from Christ, I am already judged. I am already condemned. I am already, because I am dead and disobedient and dominated. And because of that, I am doomed to an eternity without God. And that is why I needed to be saved. The word saved in Ephesians 2, it describes an action that we cannot do for ourselves. You need to be saved. I needed to be saved. But we couldn't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do in our own strength in our doomed condition. That's a pretty bleak picture. So that raises the second question. Why do I need to be saved? Number two, who can save us? We can't save ourselves, so who can? Let's look back at Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 2. And you, he hath quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Read those next two words. Read those next two words. It's in your Bible. Come on. Come on, y'all. You were dead in sins. You were disobedient. You were doomed. But God, y'all need to get more excited about those two words right there, folks. Get your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. You were dead. You were doomed. You were disobedient. There was no hope. But God. Aren't y'all glad for that? But God. You had no help, help whatsoever. You were condemned to hell. You couldn't do anything about it, but God did what you could not do. But God, yeah, I was dead in my sins, but God. I was disobedient in my walk, but God. I was doomed to hell, but God did for me what I could not do for myself. Look again at verse 4, but God who was rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Yes, he is holy, but thank God he is merciful. Yes, he must judge sin, but thank God he has made a way for me to accept Christ as my Savior. And the wrath of God that was meant to be poured out on me was poured out on Christ. I was condemned, I was doomed, and so were you, but God. God did what we could not do. He was holy. He is merciful. He is holy. But thank God, he is loving. How did that happen? God can't overlook sin. God can't ignore sin because of his holiness. Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we deserve to die... Christ died for us. On the cross, Jesus took all my sin. He took all your sin. He took all of everyone's sin, past sin, present sin, future sin. He took all the sin of humanity on himself, and God looked at his son, and he saw the sin of humanity on his son, and God, because he is holy, poured out his wrath on his only begotten son because he took the punishment that was due to me. He died in my place. He took the full wrath of God for me on the cross and he died. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, triumphant over death and sin, proving that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. That's why Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Because Jesus did for us what we can never do, we can be saved. As an 18-year-old college uh, high school senior, I was disobedient to God. I was dead in my sins. I was doomed to hell. But God. But God did for me what I could never do. And all I had to do was accept his payment of my sin. All I had to do was put my faith and trust in him. And I became new. But God. Aren't you glad for those words? But God. God loves every single person in here. Even though you sinned against him. Even though you broke his law. Even though you deserve to be separated. God did for you what you could never do. He offers salvation to all of us. If you'll simply call on him. Trust his finished work of his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sins. Then you too can be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, why don't we make today the day that we stop right now? We can say, hey, March 3rd, 2019, New Grace Baptist Church, I got saved. Not because of what I did because of what he did. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like me. You are saved. You know without a shadow of a doubt. You are saved. It's done. It's final. Then let's praise God that he loved us enough to do for us what we could never do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.